of that. Now, how many of you watched Jeopardy and The Greatest Ever this past week? Did any of y'all watch some of that stuff? And so Alex had, you know, the three greatest champions of all time, you know, on Jeopardy. And, and so he's, he's like, okay, you know, we got the greatest and we're going to see who is the greatest of all time. And they're going to take home, you know, what was it, a million dollars or something like that. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to watch. So I just I watched the first show just, <laughs> just to remind myself of how ignorant I really am. <laughs> and it didn't take long. <laughs> to, so the first 15 minutes, they go up, up to the, 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 you know, this double jeopardy, and, and then everybody gets to bet. And so they said, okay, here's the category for double jeopardy, and it is uh, next, presidents and the Bible. And it was the first time in the whole show I went, oh, okay, okay. And so I'm like, how much money, am I, how, many, how, many, how many of my points am I willing to wager that I know the answer to this question? However, <laughs> up until that point, I hadn't gotten a single question right. And so I would have had zero on my board. I had nothing to wager. And so, you know, the music starts and they all decide to go to commercial break. They come back and, they, and Alex like, Okay, are you ready? Everything's in. Here's your clue. Silent Calvin Coolidge was inaugurated in 1925 on a Bible open to this six-word first line of the gospel according to St. John. How many of you know the answer? What is? Oh, praise the Lord. Good for you. The first six words of the gospel of John are... In the beginning was the Word. All three contestants got it right. I'd have had doubled nothing, and they would have, Ken would have won anyway, right? And so it was amazing, but it was the first question that I knew. How well do you know the Word of God? It was interesting to me because I was wondering, have these men spent all their time getting this vast amount of knowledge and skipped over the word of God. But no. I mean, they, uh, all of them got it right. I was pleasantly surprised, and then I was back to feeling like, man, I'm glad nobody invites me to trivia night, you know, at Rotello's Pizza or wherever you play trivia night, because I stink at that game. I'm, I'm like a one-category guy. And so if, the, if everything is about the Bible, then maybe I can contribute a little bit. But this is the whole message that we have today. This right here. This collection of 66 books. The greatest literature collection ever written. Inspired by God. This, this book and the collection of its writings has the promised power to transform your life. And there is no substitute. The Holy Spirit confirms the Word of God. He works in your life to bring about the words of God in your life. But if you don't hide them away in your heart, how can your life be transformed? And when I was in my 20s going nowhere fast, about to get married and had no clue what it was like to be faithful, loyal, Godly or good. I tried to open this book and tried to read it. it I only had the King James Bible. Anyone? 
try to really hide away the King James in your heart. That's how I first started memorizing the Bible. And I was so embarrassed that I couldn't figure it out. That oh, I wanted to, and I knew I needed to. I just didn't know how. And so I made a decision in my life, 1981, that I was going to run after the things of God. And so November of that year was the first time I ever asked for a specific Christmas present. I said, I need a good Bible, and I need some, some things, some tools to help me understand and begin to understand the Word of God. Because I knew that that was the difference in my dead-end life and resurrection power. Just like the worship team just finished singing. So that's the message today. The message today is, how do you start? Because some of you may be at the point where you're like, you know what, I, I agree with you. I just don't know how to get started. So I just want to share with you how I do it, how I got, got started, what I did, and then inspire you hopefully to start opening up the Word of God. Look at this verse of Scripture in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and the first part of 17. Now this is Paul. And Paul came along in Rome, and he's writing this to the Romans, and they were all being persecuted. In fact, there was this big move to make sure that Christianity did not get out. And anybody who said or proclaimed they wanted to be a Christian, they were being persecuted, hunted down. Some were being killed. They were, they were dipped in wax, and they were the light poles as people entered into Rome, these Christians who were following this renegade man named Jesus Christ. But Paul comes along years later, and he just makes this strong stand I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. He's like, this is the power of God. When you look up in a Greek, I mean, I have these, these Greek studies, and so in this book right here, and this was one of the first things my father gave me to... You know, I'm going to cry, you know, but um, to Rick Hazel, a student of God's word from dad, 1981. See you in heaven. You know, um, I've got a great legacy, but when dad wrote that, I was not a student of the word of God. I would not have seen him in heaven. But I am now. And so, this, this right here was my beginning point. Having a grandfather who pretty much memorized the Word of God. Having a father who diligently sought after the Word of God. And handing me two of his most favorite tools so that I can begin hiding away the Word of God in my heart. And he's like, this word power is really our word dynamite. It's like the explosion of God in your life. That the words of this book have the capacity, the ability to explode, to ignite in you all of the power of the God who created the universe if you'll just run after it, if you'll just hide it away. Plant, get those words in your heart and watch what God will do in your life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scriptures inspired by God. This is very important. 
You're not just reading empty words. The reason it's the greatest book sold and still is today and will endure all time, it's the promise of God, is because it's his words captured and written, inspired by him and useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And every time you open it, God will reveal something different to you. Every time you read, he'll speak something into your life that's new and relevant, something you're facing right now. How does it happen? I do not know. God is just good. He's just good. And if I can do anything today, I just want to inspire you to be a man, a woman, a person of the word of God. Because you're gonna, one day you're going to be out, you're going to be somewhere, and something's going to happen. And you're not going to know how to deal with it. You're going to be in a situation. You, and you might pray, oh God, help me. But if you'll hide the word of God in your heart, he'll begin to bring it out. And he'll speak to you his words in that moment. And you'll know what to do. And it will bring you peace. Now, where do I begin? First thing I want to say is gather some tools. So I've got some of my tools here. I love this verse of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2, 15. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Work hard. Listen, you don't have to work hard to be saved. He's going to bless you. That's given, he's giving you that. But, but work hard because if you want to be blessed in this life, man, God will feed you everything you need, but he gives you the choice. And so he's like, work hard and be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who, I love this line, line, correctly explains the word of truth. Correctly explaining the word of truth. I can open it up. I can see what it says. I can make application to my life. I can correctly do it because I'm telling you, there are a lot of religions, a lot of people. They open up and a bunch of people misuse, they abuse, they change it. they like, I know what I believe and now I'm going to go and find some words and pull them out of context and make it sound like you know God agrees with how I want to live my life and sometimes people do that I'm going to live my life however I want to I've already chosen the kind of lifestyle I'm going to live I've already chosen the kind of person I want to be now I'm going to go make the Bible fit into me into how I choose to live and God it doesn't work that way You begin with the Word of God, and you mold your life around that. So, gather some tools. One of the things that we do is we have small groups. I think I have a slide for this where we, we, and and so Erica was talking about it earlier, you know, we want everybody to be in a small group because that's where we just open up the Word of God, and you can ask any question and, and go exploring. You'll find somebody else in one of those small groups just like you who want to learn how to dig in and open up and gather you know, all this good news and begin making application. And available in all of those small groups is Right Now Media. How many of you have Right Now Media? You've already downloaded all that. Listen, it's free for all of you. Before you leave today, make sure you go downstairs to our slat wall and, and, or go onto our website and you can log on to our media page and, and download Right Now Media. Get that app on your phone, on your computer. We pay, I don't know what it is, 350 bucks a month or something like that so that you can have access to people teaching the Word of God. And it's amazing. 
And anything you want out of the Word of God, you want history, you want to know how, how science and evolution and creation theories work, go together, or separate, you know, you want to explain the Word of God, it's, it's amazing. One of the things I really love is the Bible Project. Tim Mackey and a friend of his from college put that together. And I want to show you a little Tim Mackey Bible Project video in the sermon today, just so that you can see what's available to you. And then, book Denver and what's in the Bible? Listen, when I first started trying to learn the Word of God, I got a children's Bible. I actually stole it. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Except from a church, they didn't care. They knew I needed it worse than they did. And so, I, I just couldn't understand my King James Bible. And I was really, really frustrated. So I was leaving church one day, and the door was open to like a fourth grade classroom. And I walked in, and nobody was in there. And so I got this book, you know, one of their little children's Bible. And I opened it up, and it just happened to open up to the story of Esther. And I just started reading it. And I can almost still remember what it said. Once upon a time. Oh, I love stories like that. There was a king named Xerxes, and he decided to throw a party for all of his kingdom. And he invited all the princes and princesses and nobles all around his kingdom the size of the United States. I'm like, what? That's not in the Bible. You know? And here they came from India, from Ethiopia, from Africa, from all these places they came to this party that lasted six months and they went all around. I'm like, that is not in the Bible. So I opened up my King James Bible. It was as big as a family Bible. You know, it's like the one that the salesman, can you remember those? That's the one I had. So I'm opening it up and I turned to the book of Esther, and sure enough, that's what it said. And the Spirit of God in me said, steal that children's Bible and take it with you. <laughs> and I followed that voice. And that's how I started. I would read the children's story, and then I would follow along in the King James, and I would mark and then when I would get in front of people, and, and, and so this guy named Bill Rakes, he was so good at doing this. Every week we would get together. Here's the question he would ask me. Somebody, somebody in here needs to hear this question. This is the question he would ask you. Ask me, what is God teaching you now? Well, the first couple of times he asked me, I had no answer, right? What is God teaching you right now? So I thought, next time we get together, I'm going to have something. So the next time we got together, he said, what is God teaching you right now? Did you know that Artaxerxes was a king, you know, over in Babylon? And he threw a party for six months, and princes and princesses came from all over the place. And they went all around the, the capital city of Susa. And woo, it was awesome. He's like, where did you read that? <laughs> Let me teach you. Open up your Bible to the book of Esther, right? So it didn't, it didn't take me long to get cocky. That's how I started. So I don't know what your resources are. I like this. This is uh, Vines. You know, it's just a dictionary, so it's a word. If ever I run across words, and that happens all the time, I do not know what that word. What is sanctification? Such a big church word. What does that mean? And so I did, you know, I'm a simple man. Just break it down for me. Stop talking all that religious big talk, big word talk. And just get, make it simple for me to understand. So that was one. I already shared with you these that my, my dad gave me. Here's one of the first things I do. If I'm going to open up 
the book of Esther, if I'm going to open the book of Matthew or whatever, I bought this in uh, CVS right over here, waiting on a prescription one day. It's the complete guide to the Bible, and it breaks it down very simple. Here's Matthew, and in one page, it gives you the main point of the book, and it just, it just it's so easy. What makes Matthew so special? Why did early church leaders bump into that first line of this New Testament? It's ahead of the three other books about Jesus. It probably wasn't the first gospel written, but, and he just, I'm like, well, I didn't know that. And he gives me the main point and where it's located and who was the writer and what was the date and the location. And then it gives me the big points. It gives me maps and stuff. I love, I'm so visual. I love all of that. That's one of the reasons I bought this. I bought this book, Rose Book of Bible Charts, Maps, and Timelines. I got this from Priesters, anyone? Anyone? While you're buying all that chocolate, I'm over buying timelines over on the other side. But look at this. I mean, it's just, I love having a visual of what it looks like. It helps me to, to speak it into, as a story and to create a visual in your mind so that you can, so that you can get a picture of the words of God. And man, this is, it's just full of it. Everything, all through the Bible. And uh, I, I love books like this because it makes it come alive uh, in my mind. Here's another one, a Bible timeline. If I open this thing up, it's as long as this stage. But it helps me to know how Esther, you know, came before Ruth or how it came at the time of David and the Psalms. And it gives me a really good timeline so I can piece it all together. This book right here was given to me by my grandfather before he passed away. And it's a, it's a collection of William Barclay uh, commentaries. And William Barclay is so good at history. And what I loved about these, and they're, they're really old, and, and uh, if the more I use them, the more the pages tear out. And so now I, I don't spend too much time reading them anymore. It just reminds me. I just see my grandfather every day. You know what I'm talking about? And, but, but when you read it, it's so good. My, my, I have, you know, where my grandfather underlined in it. You know, just, that's, that's my grandfather right there. How he studied the word of God. And that's all that's important to me. But this is so good about history. It says, what you may not know in that region, at that time, this is what was going on. And this is what Mark was talking about when he wrote his gospel. And so it really helped cement for me exactly what was going on and what the writer had in mind. Do you have any tools that help you understand better the Word of God? Well, you have right now media, and it's digital. It's on your computer. It's on your television. You know, just get that app on all your smart TVs and phones and, and start looking at it. Spend time at night. Watch a little Jeopardy, and then open up right now media and just spend time in the Word of God. Number two, commit to being trained. Commit to being trained. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everything and wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God wants all of us to understand the truth. And so, okay, if I'm going to be trained, typically if you were to go to you know, a, a new job uh, of any substance, you're, somebody's going to partner with you and you're going to go through some training. You're going to watch some videos to make sure you're in compliance with HR. And then you're going to start walking, watching some videos. Maybe you'll shadow somebody who shows you how to do what you're going to be doing. 
And so you're being trained, and they do it for a week or however long it takes to get through the training just so that you know how to do what it is that they're going to be paying you to do. It's the exact same way in the Word of God. It's, you're not going to go to school, you know, to a, you know, learning something on university level, master's or doctorate level, without having some instructor who can break it down for you and help you understand. They're going to help you. Same way with the Word of God. Find your training and get to it. And, and let somebody train you in the Word of God. That's why you go to small groups. That's why you partner with somebody else. I have a Bible study. We have it on, on uh, Mondays, right? And we sit down and we... That's right, Tuesdays. We did change it. And so it was on Tuesday. Anyway, but we, we sit down and we're going over now the book of Ephesians. In three weeks... We're going to have a, a, a Bible series in here on the book of Ephesians. So if you want to get ready, you want to get your study helps, we're going to start that, you know, in February. And so, but, but who's going to help you understand, you know, the Word of God? Now, here's one. I got this from Amy Wazita. It's called the HEAR method. And, and I don't know what method you use when you open up the Word of God and start letting it teach you, but the HEAR method, it just says, first of all, highlight what really reaches out and grabs you. And we're going to go through one story in the book of Mark here in just a second, but, and just highlight what's important to you. And then examine, and just ask really, who, what, where, when, how. Start asking all these questions. If you don't know it, pause before you go any further, and, and go to Right Now Media, or go to something that can help you explain and open up, okay, this is what was being written, this is when, this is why, this is how, and just begin to study what is that story. Then make application. What are some simple ways I can apply it? And then pray, how am I going to respond to that? What's one thing I need to do right now? And we're going to walk through that here in just a second. The last one says there's no substitute for time. Acts chapter 17, I love this. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now, that's why I give you the handouts and the outlines. Every day, you should be doing that. And if ever I teach something that's not according to the Word of God, you should say, hey, hey Rick, I, I don't know that that's exactly what that said. And that's how, because I, you know, all, I, all we pursue here is the, the truth, just the Word of God. And, and we study it, we cry over it, we pour over it. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, I'm a student, and I'm in the middle of being a student. God is teaching me. And so I, I don't know everything about the Word of God. I don't claim to know everything about the Word of God. But together, if you study it and I study it, we, and we hide it away in our heart, God will transform us. Amen? So, all right, now I want to get started. And, uh, and let's practice. So if someone came to me and they said, hey, I got a Bible. I want to get started. What, where do you think? Where should I read first? What should I do? I would say we'll start in the, one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everybody has a different opinion as to which one they like the most. I would start in the Gospel of Mark because it's the shortest and it's easy. In the Gospel of Mark, you'll read story after story. And, and this is what the Gospel of Mark, this is the way he laid out his Gospel. This is what happened. Here's the story. And this is how people felt about Jesus. And here's your phrase when you're reading the, the Gospel of Mark. He was amazing. Everybody was amazed. They were all astonished. That's, that's what you're looking for. 
Because Mark said, I want to introduce you to this man, Jesus Christ. And he's amazing. He's amazing. There's never been anyone like him. There will never be anyone like him. And he's, he's have you discovered yet how amazing Jesus is? And let, me, let me tell you some stories. And he will tell this story. And everybody was amazed. And then he did that. And people were astonished. And you won't believe what he did next. That's the Gospel of Mark. Can I share it with you? So before I open up the Gospel of Mark, I opened up the Bible Project. Now, it's nine minutes long. I'm only going to show you the first three minutes. Here's the Bible Project introduction to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel according to Mark. It's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed this story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus' actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in act one, everybody's blown away by Jesus, and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In act two, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in act three, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the Messianic king. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger. And then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people, only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think, and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. 
But Jesus isn't surprised by these responses. In fact, he draws attention to it. In chapter 4, Mark has collected many of Jesus' parables about the hidden, mysterious nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that his message is like seed falling on different types of soil. Some are receptive, some are not. Or it's like a mustard seed that's very tiny, it seems insignificant, but then it grows huge and surprises everyone. Jesus' point is that he really is the Messiah, bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look like what anybody expected. And this growing confusion about Jesus among the crowds is connected to a key idea Mark emphasizes at the end of Act 1, that even among Jesus' disciples there's confusion. Even they are struggling to grasp who Jesus really is, and that brings us to Act 2. Hey, it's good, huh? Isn't that fun? And so he just opens it up and gives you this big outline. And so as you begin to understand the outline and you begin to see, oh, there's three major parts. You know, here he is in Galilee. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's on the way. And so I think I can break that down. And he said it's about all these different encounters with Jesus. Here's one. Mark chapter 5. You want to follow along? Mark chapter 5. I'm just going to read one story. And so they arrived at the other side of the lake. Pause. I have to pause right at the very beginning. And so they arrived at the other side of the lake. Who? Coming from where? I mean, this is the sequel. The first part of the story is in chapter 4, where I realize at nighttime, Jesus talked to his apostles and said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. There's something that I need to do. So Jesus is very intentional. They get in the boat. They start rowing across the other side of the lake, and a storm comes up. And the, the waves are breaking over the boat. The boat's moved way off course. The apostles all think they're going to drown. And, you know, Jesus is asleep. And they're like, don't you even care that we're drowning? And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, peace to the wind and be still to the waves. And the wind stops and the waves stop and the storm is gone. And the Bible says the apostles were afraid. Who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him. Have you discovered yet that Jesus is amazing? So they arrived at the other side of the lake. Now, it's, it's early in the morning, probably two, three o'clock in the morning, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Where did he live? How many of you like going to a cemetery at night? What's the last thing you want to see when you go? Anything alive or moving. And this is where this man lived. Why did he live there? People in the town chained him up. At the graveyard. They didn't want him in their town. What was it about this man that was so bad? They chained him up. But no one could restrain him. Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. Woo! No one was strong enough to subdue him. This guy, I, I don't know what he looked like, Probably hadn't had a bath in a long time. Probably hadn't washed his hair in a long time. He probably smelled like he lived out in the tombs because, you know, they didn't bury the bodies. They just cut holes in the rocks, and that's where they put all of the deceased, and that's where he slept. 
And he's super strong. And by the way, if you read one of the other Gospels, it said he had not worn clothes in a very long time. So now you have this very strong, naked madman living out at the tombs, and this is the beginning of our story. It's a pretty good story, actually. (laughs) Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So he's screaming, and he's got these sharp stones, and he's just cutting himself all over his body. And so when you look at him, he's not pleasant to look at. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, he saw Jesus, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm walking up to a cemetery in the middle of the night and something naked, tall, screaming, very strong, and covered in blood's running at me, <laughs> I am not waiting around for the end of that story. <laughs> as fast as I can run away, I am. Is that what Jesus did? No. What did Jesus do? He just stood there. And when that mad screamer got right in his face, he bowed down before Jesus and said, please don't hurt me. Have you you yet discovered how amazing Jesus is? And if your life was in that kind of torture and torment, he's not running away from you either. He replied, my name is Legend, because there are many of us inside this man. That's the demon speaking. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send him to some distant place. This is the weirdest part of the story to me. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. Have you yet to learn that the spirits are subject to Jesus? They're subject to you too, by the way. Spirits do not control you. You, God controls you. Jesus gave the permission. So the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the steep hillside, into the lake, and drowned in the water. <laughs> so random. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounded countryside, spreading the news as they ran, and people rushed out to see what had happened. What time is it? Does anybody bang on your door at four in the morning and say, you got to come out of the graveyard, something big's happening. And if they did, what would you do? Listen, I know this church, half of you would shoot right through the door. I'm telling the truth. (laughs) But you're certainly not going to get up and get dressed and run out to the graveyard. That's just so crazy. But they did. And when they got there, the crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legend of demons. 
he was, he was sitting, fully clothed, praise the Lord, and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. This man that they chained up at the graveyard that no one could do anything with, counseling didn't work, church didn't work, family, nothing worked. So they got rid of him and chained him up over and over and over and over and over. And finally, this man, Jesus, shows up and transforms this man. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus. They began pleading with Jesus to what? How... How, how do you, if you didn't know anything about the story, how would you, what would be your next line? They began pleading with Jesus to heal me, come to my house, help my daddy, please. Someone do something about my uncle. They began to beg with Jesus to leave them. Leave us alone. As Jesus got into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said no. Go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you. How merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. Everyone, here's our line, was amazed at what he told them. That's one of the first stories when I got really into the Word of God that hit me because I was the demon-possessed dude. I was the one chased out of a town. I was the one with a reputation so bad I got kicked out of church. People didn't want me around. I know what that feels like, and it is not good. And you cover it in pride and anger, and you learn how to fight just awful. But God, Jesus is amazing and he comes to you. And with all those pigs, they weren't supposed to have the pigs in the first place. This is a whole region, a bunch of non-Jews, but there were some Jews there. And they weren't supposed to have the pigs, so really all Jesus did was got rid of what they weren't supposed to have. And People fought against it. And that's the same with us. We fight so hard against Jesus when he's trying to get rid of the things in our life that don't belong in the first place. Do you want God to transform your life? Do you want to find out that he's amazing? Do you want to be transformed? Go home to your family. Man, can you imagine the children who were reunited with their father? I got to end with this. Yesterday, I went to the funeral of one of my good friends. His name was Joe Miller. Joe Miller started Pray for Pensacola and 40 days of fasting. And the first year, he and I talked and we started it. We started it here at this church. He started it over at his church, Jubilee. And 2008, we had very specific things that we prayed for. What a great man. I don't know a better, there are a lot of good men and women in this town. 
none better than Joe Miller. And as his son, Yuri, stood up and did his best to honor his father in that service, Yuri said this. My dad would wake up every morning at 5.30 and he would go out back and he would walk around our pool and he started his prayer praying over us, his children, and his wife. Every morning, he would pray for his wife, he'd pray for his kids, and then he began praying for this city. You know, sometimes he'd watch his dad and his dad didn't know it. He would just watch his dad just make circles around the pool, just crying out to God. God, help our city, help our family, help my children, help our businesses, help our schools, transform this place. He was such a good man. And Yuri said in his conclusion, my father was very intentional about only one thing, pursuing eternity with God. What a legacy. And what would my children say about me? What would my wife say about me? 